So, due to various factors, we recorded this episode a couple of months ago, but haven't had a chance to edit and release it until now. But a lot of exciting things about the topic of this episode have happened. So, we've recorded an extra little bit at the end to explain what those things are. It's really exciting. Stick around. Hello, and welcome to Foss and Crafts, a podcast about free software, free culture, and making things together, with my co-host, Morgan, and my co-host, Christine. So, today, we are talking about WASM, also known as WebAssembly. And this episode was prompted because Christine actually has an announcement to make. That's right, the Sprightly Institute, of which, of course, I am CTO, has announced that we are doing a um, Guile Scheme to WebAssembly compilation project, which is exciting because that means that's a pass for Sprightly's tech to get in the browser. Yeah, and it's got an awesome name. It's called Guile Hoot. Yeah, that's the internal name for the project in a certain sense. So actually, it has this cute pixel art owl. Like, we were debating, we were like, this thing needs a cool name and a cool little mascot just for, for ourselves, and I just happened to have this pixel art owl I drew recently, mm-hmm. and everybody's like, oh, this is pretty good, because we were talking about maybe a bird would be nice, and so Guile Hoot became the name. Now, if everything goes well in the long run, it is very possible that there will be no Guile Hoot, in that everything might get merged upstream to Guile proper, and so this might just be a temporary project name, we don't know. Could be that some pieces stick around as their own independent thing. Mm-hmm. But yes, very exciting that WebAssembly, we're getting to work with it more day to day. And this project's being funded by the MetaMask folks who, you know, very passionate about Sprightly and want to make it happen and want to be able to see our stuff in the browser also. But, you know, if you've been following us for a while, you might know that I am personally excited about WebAssembly. I think it's a pretty interesting project and we'll get, we'll get to why as kind of the episode goes on. Yeah, to start off with. Just a reminder, this episode's about WebAssembly in general, not specifically about the Sprightly project. Mm-hmm. So what is it? WebAssembly, it's a abstract, um, what's called a virtual machine. You might be familiar with the term virtual machine if you've ever like booted emulators of various you know computer architectures. But virtual machine's a bit more general than that. It just means an abstracted machine. So that can be for an emulator, but it can also be for some sort of, like, a lot of programming languages have a virtual machine in them that they use on the compiler, they compile to, and that actually runs a program. So WebAssembly is designed to be kind of this general purpose architecture. If you have been doing this stuff for long enough, this might sound a little bit familiar. Java kind of sold this dream of having this universal virtual machine that you compile once and it runs anywhere. It kind of didn't really happen as that dream it would like look like maybe it was happening for a while but for various reasons that we will not get into this episode it kind of didn't in some ways WebAssembly is kind of that dream done much more correctly i think and it's very well built for being very minimal and being something you can compile to and etc yeah and this is built on lisp right sort of so the the textual syntax looks a lot like lisp and if you program in it it feels a little bit like kind of a combination of like Lisp and Forth and Assembly all all together. So you can program in it by hand in this Lispy syntax, and it compiles down to a binary syntax. But it's basically a stack machine. 
with a lot of very serious discipline, which means that you are like pushing values onto the stack and then running operations that like eat those values and then put other things on it. It's kind of like a stack of cards that it keeps like kind of putting things on and then like eating the cards off of the stack and it kind of grows and goes up and down. And this makes it so that basically you can get like all of the languages in the browser, right? Yes, that is the reason that the name web is in WebAssembly. It's not necessarily something, as we will talk about later, that is only restricted to the web. But the exciting thing is, is that like the browser has been the domain of kind of being this universal deployment target for, you know, these things that everybody can run and use. And therefore people are like, well, you have to you have to write JavaScript because JavaScript is the language of the web. One of the things that's kind of compelling about WebAssembly is that that's not the case in that WebAssembly opens up the possibility of every language being a first class citizen on the web. Yeah. And it's also a general deployment target, right? That's right. There's a project called WASI, W-A-S-I, which is a WebAssembly interface system. It's interesting because it's kind of capabilities oriented. And it's also kind of POSIX-y. So like POSIX is like the kind of standard for Unix stuff. It's basically like, okay, you have this virtual machine. You can do all sorts of operations on it. But how do you, you know... How do you simulate all the things that you might want to do in a program, you know, reading and writing from files and, you know, like getting, you know, input from the keyboard and all sorts of things like that. And so WASI is built for that purpose. And it also provides uh, some capability protection architecture in the design. So, yeah, there's been a lot of excitement about WebAssembly also being just this general purpose target that you can compile to. And then you can, you know, run these programs anywhere, basically. Yeah. And a few years ago, you and a friend started a kind of small group called it Wasm Me, right? Uh, yeah. So Tristan, friend of the show, has appeared on it before. And I, we ran this little user group. We called it Wasm Me. We both wanted to understand WebAssembly. So we were handwriting WebAssembly in its Watt syntax, the WebAssembly text syntax, which is, again, very lispy. And we were just writing very tiny programs just so that we would understand it. You know, one of the when we when we ended it, we were working on implementing Conway's Game of Life in a handwritten WebAssembly. What I wish that had existed at the time, but didn't. There's a project that exists now called Wasm4, and it's basically like a tiny fantasy console. So you know, we gave the we gave a whole episode about the tiny NES, right? And that's a real video game console that existed that people could play games on mm-hmm. and fantasy consoles are basically this idea of like this imaginary imagine if you made this old retro computer and so there wasm 4 is like this extremely restricted fantasy console and so if we had done it today i would have said you know we we would try to have written our programs to to write out to wasm 4 but when we were doing it we were originally we were just manually hooking in the interfaces we needed to the browser so that we could, like, you know, print things out and also write to a canvas and stuff like that. Yeah. Every time we've brought It Was a Me up in public, people have asked if this was a user group that they could join. Is this something that you would be interested in expanding or making more public? Maybe. I would be. The main problem is, is that I don't know when I will have time. But it was a really fun project, you know, maybe if somebody else is really excited about this, we could get somebody else to organize it and then I could just start showing up. But it was pretty fun. 
it was just a user group of two. But yes, mm-hmm. when every time we've mentioned it, various people have gotten excited and said, oh, well, I wish I could have <laughs> participated in that one. Yeah. Let's talk about the extensions to Wasm. Yeah. So I mentioned that it's a stack machine and it's very minimalist. It's like the base core, what's called the MVP, the minimum viable product version of WebAssembly, is very basic in some ways. And you can do nearly anything, but it's so minimalist that it's usually like the main thing that very few people end up handwriting WebAssembly programs the way that Tristan and I did. Most people are using something like Mscripten, which like compiles like C programs to WebAssembly, or they use something like C or C++, or they use something like Rust, you know, to compile things. So if they're going to be using a language that's not one of these low-level languages, they would probably compile the whole interpreter or whatever for that language and then run the program, but that's very expensive. So part of what we're doing at the Spratly Institute is we're trying to advance the usage of these proposals is in terms of WebAssembly being a first-class language platform. So for example, if you're writing these low-level programs, then you're probably doing manual memory management or just using the stack. But if you're using um, a dynamic language, you might be using something like a garbage collector, right? JavaScript, Scheme, other languages like that have a garbage collector, Python. The problem is the garbage collector goes and removes things that aren't needed anymore. It goes and picks up the garbage, right? But if you are running this on top of something like, you know, you're running it with the browser and with, you know, the host JavaScript, how do you end up, you know, saying, okay, well, JavaScript doesn't need this anymore and your program doesn't need this anymore. You kind of have to kind of synchronize those things. And so the garbage collection proposal allows you to use the host garbage collector and you don't have to port over a garbage collector. Um, And there are all sorts of other extensions that are kind of in progress, like multiple value return and the delimited continuations proposal and other things like that. We're not going to go into those in this episode, but let's just say that there are some interesting extensions that are being worked on to WebAssembly. And I think part of the value of Sprightly pushing forward the Guilewasm stuff is hopefully we will help push forward and advance the ones that are really necessary to get a lot of different kinds of these dynamic languages to be first-class citizens in the browser. Yeah. So that is what Wasm is and how it can be extended, but why should we care? Well, Andy Wango, who is the main person that we're actually bringing on to work on Sprightly's Guild WebAssembly project, we're contracting with him through Egalia, wrote an interesting blog post where he's like, oh, WebAssembly is a new Kubernetes, which really means, you know, WebAssembly is kind of going to be the environment that everyone targets for, you know, compiling and running programs. And if you are an enthusiast of other programming languages that aren't JavaScript, then you might care, right? But I think that we're going to see more and more computing be kind of built around WebAssembly, partly because it is kind of the version of the JVM dream done right, right? It's not being controlled by this one big corporation. It's being kind of driven forward by this set of people collaborating. And recently you were showing off WebAssembly.sh, right? Uh, well, I was showing it off of the Hackencraft. Yeah. WebAssembly.sh is basically like, it's a environment that lets you play around with programs that have been compiled to WebAssembly, and it kind of looks like a Unix shell, and it will download the WebAssembly versions of commands as you type them in, and then you can play with them. And so it's just kind of an, an interesting example to see that, like, with, I mentioned earlier, the WebAssembly system interface, the WASI, it uses that to allow for 
these different programs to compile and run. And so you can get a sense of kind of how that's going to work and get a sense of kind of that this being a compiler target that people are going to be able to go after. Yeah. Your interest in WebAssembly started with some encounters at TPAC several years ago, right? Yeah. So TPAC is a W3C's, um, the World Wide Web Consortium's big annual conference for standardization stuff. And a few years ago, I had the good fortune to attend live and I had some extra time and I could go to basically anything I wanted. And I'm like, well, I'm really interested in finding out what this WebAssembly stuff is and like, are they actually doing things legitimately? Like, is this something that we should follow with earnestness? And so I went into this room and kind of watched them talking about things. And I was just really floored by the quality of people that they had brought into the room, the quality of the conversations they were having. And uh, my, we've had Mark Miller on the show. Mark Miller was part of those conversations. And uh, Mark and I spent a bunch of time talking about how the GC proposal would work afterwards. And I was also surprised to find out that, you know, if you listen to this show, you know, our, we talk about capability security and why it's important a lot. That capability security was being very seriously considered for WebAssembly. And I was like, wow, this is like, this could really bring these ideas like quite broadly to the, the rest of the world. And there were two very memorable things that happened at that event, um, as in terms of just kind of funny side stories. So one of the things was that there was this one person who I was sitting next to, and they were like, oh, yeah, I'm just working on this little toy project. They're like, it's a it's a scheme that ki- compiles to WebAssembly. Now, of course, that's funny, because, you know, Sprightly Institute's now doing, you know, a scheme that compiles to WebAssembly. And they're like, and then, you know, I'm going to make it so that it can compile itself. And I've just been fooling around with it during the middle of the meeting. And I was really excited to talk with them. And I'm like, well, I actually think that the kind of lispy syntax is one of the things that got me most excited. And they said, you know, we didn't initially start out with lispy syntaxes in terms of what was plan- what we were planning on using. We were saying, well, we can't agree on a syntax right now, and we'll just use this lispy syntax for the moment um, until we come up with something better. And then I guess like what always happens with lisp is we ended up coming to like it. So we'll use Lisp until we find something better. And Nothing better don't. emerges. Nothing better emerges. And then, so there's that. And then the other thing that happened was I was just kind of overhearing these people talking and they were like, well, the amazing thing about WebAssembly is the way that it ended up coming from ASM.js. So there was a few years ago, um, there was a, a person named Kripken who uh, Mozilla had hired. He was working on a project that I was really excited about, which was this open source game engine that nobody else cared about i felt like except for like me and like 10 other people and it was called syntensity and it was like a game engine that was designed for you to be able to extend it live and it like was based on javascript and stuff and then he was like well these things need to compile to the web so he started working on a you know how do we get c programs to compile to the web and that basically became mscripten and he started working on it at mozilla and so in order to have those browser games run on the web and have them run you know using you know kind of quote-unquote standard technology you could compile the javascript but it was too slow to run like 3d graphics programs in the browser using javascript so they introduced this hack called asm.js and asm.js did the ugliest things imaginable by you would basically insert these little things that if you said like the include asm.js in like a string that would just be ignored, like if a compiler that didn't know about it would ignore all these things, but you could put all these really ugly annotations. And if the compiler knew to look for them, then it would do the smart fast paths for each one of the things that it found. 
and it was ugly as sin. But one of the people said, but the brilliant part of it was it forced everyone to have to adopt it. The other browsers didn't want to adopt it. But since you technically could run the programs slowly in other browsers, if you didn't have the ASM.js support, it just made it look like these like fancy games that were being compiled from 3D, like these other browsers somehow had gotten fast enough that they could run these 3D games and stuff, and that the other ones just didn't know how to catch up. So they were forced to adopt this, and everyone hated it because ASM.js was terrible. And so it forced everyone to come to the table and say, okay, how do we design the thing that we actually want to support? And that became WebAssembly. That's how we create things. By doing something so terrible that it forces the world to... um, Find a way to replace it. Find a way to replace it with something good. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. Making things together. (laughs) (laughs) Through shared trauma (laughs) of bad compiler experiences. All right. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Making things together with shared trauma of compiler experiences? Oh, no. Yeah, that's... That's not a good ending. Okay, wait, wait. Let's end it on a positive note. So, I am sure I'm hoping over the next year that we can show really exciting things with Sprightly's tech, with, you know, compiling to uh, WebAssembly. One way or another, what I do know is that I think this is going to push things forward in fun and exciting ways. Andy Wingo, who is leading the project is not only a compiler engineer on uh, like, you know, V8 and SpiderMonkey, like the two top JavaScript engines in the world, and also contributes to WebAssembly. He's also the Guile lead maintainer. And by the time this episode is out, we will have announced the new engineer, Robin Templeton, who is a person that we are hiring in-house to continue this work. Uh, Robin is awesome. They worked on the Guile Emacs project, which like, allowed you to actually run Emacs on top of Guile. And it was like a really cool project. They're so incredibly well positioned to be able to make this project happen also. So I'm excited to have them and Andy working together and for them to kind of carry forward that knowledge internally and Sprightly also. And yeah, it's just exciting times ahead. I'm sure you're listening to this episode now. If you have this impression that WebAssembly is just this thing so that people can have C and Rust programs in the browser, you're wrong. Get ready. WebAssembly everything. It's happening. Excellent. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. All right. That was going to be the end of the episode, but we've arrived at the end of episode addendum. Yeah. So you've actually made a lot of progress on Hoot since we recorded this episode. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. So now Hoot can compile some basic scheme programs to WebAssembly. And let me clarify, when I mean basic ones, I mean like factorial function and Fibonacci, not ones doing like a lot of complicated things, more like your intro to computer science program ones. But like we are clearly on an exciting path because even that is possible right now. Yeah. And also when I say you, I meant you collectively as in Sprightly. Right. And your team. The Sprightly Institute team. That's right. Um, And I'm not one of the primary people working on Hoot. Yeah. And... The Sprightly team recently participated in a game jam using Hoot, right? Yeah, we participated in the Lisp game jam. We actually did two different things. One was Fantasy. It was like a virtual worlds mini system. And um, the other one was a implementation of Wireworld, which is a kind of cellular automata. So actually, the funny thing is, if you remember earlier in this 
uh, episode when we were talking about how Tristan and I had done the It Was a Me, um, like kind of like user group of two doing implementation of WebAssembly by hand. Um, we were working on an implementation of Conway's Game of Life, and we were like, oh, well, the main thing that held it up was it was really difficult to translate all these APIs into the browser, and if only we had used this fantasy console called WASM4. Well, one of the things about the Game Jam is we actually used that fantasy console called WASM4, and we used it to implement Wireworld, which is a different kind of cellular automata than, than Conway's Game of Life, but it's kind of neat because it gives these like circuits. It looks like little computer programs. And it's fun. You can try it right in your browser. We'll have a link in the show notes to the blog post about it. And that was primarily Robin Templeton doing the implementation of that. And I helped with like some of the graphics and stuff. But the, the exciting part about it from a technical level was that it was showing off how Hoot has some low-level WebAssembly tools. Um, so it has this assembler and disassembler and things like that, which are used by the compiler. They're not the normally what we advertise Hoot as being for, right? Normally we advertise Hoot as being um, compiling a, a scheme program into WebAssembly. This one was like you're writing low-level WebAssembly immersed in scheme, which probably to some members in the audience should be very clear and to some maybe not so clear. You should read the blog post. Uh, it's fun. Anyway, but the, the cool thing is, is that we have, you can actually try something that is written in Hoot actually live in your browser and it's kind of fun and interactive. And it looks pretty. Yep. So it turns out Hoot is a really fun way to build these things, at least with that demo. So Hoot's a Hoot. Hoot's a Hoot. And we've got a lot more from Hoot coming around the corner, so stay tuned. All right, for real this time. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Foss and Crafts is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. It's hosted by Morgan Lemmerweber and Christine Lemmerweber. The intro music is composed by Christine Lemmerweber, meaning myself, in Milky Tracker, and is released under the same license as the show. The outro music is Enchanted Tiki 86, composed by Alex Smith of The Cynic Project, and is waved into the public domain under CC0 1.0. See cynicmusic.com for more information. You can get in contact with us on the Fediverse, Foss and Crafts at Octodon.social, on Twitter as at Foss and Crafts, or you can email us, podcast at fossandcrafts.org. We also have a chat room. Join our community on hash Foss and Crafts on irc.libera.chat. If you'd like to support the show, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash Foss and Crafts. That's it for this week. Until next time, stay free and stay crafty. So some of these extensions, for example, the garbage collector uh, extension allows for... Um, Wait, can, can you say garbage collection again? Because that was kind of garbled. The garbled collection. <laughs> the garbage, the garbled collector. Oh no, I've made it worse, haven't I? Yes. I am forever, I can only speak garbage from this moment out. I try speaking now more. Oh, that looks a lot better. Yeah, okay. And so trying to talk like this... And I usually don't talk like that. And I'm talking like this, but over here. Should I move this closer to me? Yes, you should. <laughs>
the usual status of things. Morgan has the microphone right in front of her face. Christine Christine's has some space. <laughs> I think we got a mastodon bloop in there. That happens.